So it's going to be a fun time. Make sure you're here as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's going to be a powerful, powerful weekend. Amen. Well, it is Palm Sunday, church. Amen. We have a, a great message here this morning. So let's go ahead and let's welcome our lead pastor, Joe Source. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's Palm Sunday. Let me, see the, let me see your palms. Let's see them. Let's see them. Let's see them. Come on, wave them like you're there, like it's, like it's 2,000 years ago. Praise God. Some of you guys freaked out when you walked in because you were still recovering Catholics. Fear not. Amen. We just thought this year it'd be nice to do this as a kind of an illustration and uh, give us a little bit more. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. A little bit more reality. Rob, I got one that's opened already. I don't want to open another one. Yeah. We believe in stewardship here. This is one of my quirk things. I, I, you go in my office, and there's about three or four bottles started on my desk. I won't throw them out. I won't waste them. Amen? Amen. Being a good steward of the little things, we get to be steward over big things. So, today is a day of celebration. Now, those of you that might have been raised in the same kind of church I was raised in, this signaled the week of mourning. But you mourn for somebody who's dead. You don't mourn for somebody who's alive. Yes or no? So this is obviously the beginning of the most memorial, memorable, impacting, life-changing, history-changing week in the history of mankind. We should be celebrating. This is not a time of mourning. This is a time of rejoicing. Our Savior is alive. Amen. 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 And you talk about good stewardship. He didn't even have them put aside a tomb for him or a grave for him because he knew he wasn't going to be there. He borrowed somebody else's instead of buying one for himself. That's good stewardship. He figured I'm only going to use it for three days. Why buy one? Amen? So I want you to get that in your heart this morning about celebrating, about rejoicing, about understanding the true significance of this day and to take it out of the religiosity of this holiday because this can get, like this whole week now can become very religious for people. Okay, beware of that. Religion will rob you of life. Amen. Religion will put you back in darkness again. We, we don't live in a religion. We live in a relationship with our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Almighty God, come here in the flesh. Amen? And for what reason? For you and for me. For us. Let's not ever forget that. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. And as they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Un untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in just a few minutes. 
Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey. I want to read that again because that's a significant thing. Don't let it just go over your head. Your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey and on a colt, the full of a donkey. The disciples, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Verse 8, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who had followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now we say Hosanna. That's our Americanized, westernized version. Uh, Jesus wouldn't have heard Hosanna that day. Jesus would have heard Hoshienu, Hoshienu. God, save us. God, rescue us. God, be there for us. Amen? What were they looking for? Did they understand? Could any of them possibly perceive, except for Jesus himself, who knew what was coming that week, could any of them have possibly foreseen what kind of week they were going to have starting that day? It's impossible for them. So what do we have? Why is this crowd there? Why is Jerusalem filled with people? Uh, the historian Josephus, who lived right during the time, right after the time of Jesus' resurrection and crucifixion, said that at that time in, in Judaism, during that time period of the Roman Empire, upwards of a million people would come to Jerusalem for the Passover. One million people. Now, a million people to us today is like a, a fairly decent-sized city. But, but in those times, to have a million people come into that area... Just, just think, of, you talk about Super Bowl. Everybody's coming to Jerusalem. Everybody's there because they're commanded to appear before the Lord on this, on this festival, on Passover. They're not thinking Palm Sunday. They're not thinking, well, in a few days from now, Jesus is going to be crucified. A few days after that, he's going to raise from the dead. They're there to celebrate Passover. What is the celebration of Passover? What, what were they celebrating? They're celebrating their freedom from Egypt. They're celebrating their freedom from slavery. Amen. Little did they know that they're getting ready to see again a deliverer sent by God to rescue his people out of slavery, the way Moses rescued God's people out of Egyptian bondage. Amen? Amen. They have no idea what's ahead of them. They're here, they're here to celebrate Passover. They're in Jerusalem. They've come week, sometimes two weeks ahead of time to prepare to be able to celebrate. I'm sure there were family reunions that were taking place. I'm sure they got their blow-up mattresses and put them out on the floor because the company's coming in, and they're all ready, and what are we going to cook this day, and what are we going to cook that day? It's a time of celebration. We should have that kind of celebration in our hearts. And just like you and I had no idea what was ahead of us when we invited the Lord Jesus Christ to come into our hearts, to be the Lord and Savior of our lives? We had no idea what was ahead for us. We had no idea the adventures he was going to take us on. We had no idea how it was going to impact our lives. And then later on, we realized, wow, how much more should we have celebrated on that day when we, from our hearts, said, Hoshienu, Jesus, come and rescue me. Jesus, come and save me. Jesus, come and get me out of this pit that I'm in. Amen. Amen. Am I the only one? Amen. How many of you remember crying out to God during those times in your life? Like, God, if you get me out of this one, I'll never do that again. Hoshienu. 
So verse 10 says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? We answered it this morning when we sang that song. His name is Jesus. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I don't know about prophet. Well, he operated as a prophet, but that's the only revelation they had of him up until that point in time. You imagine, because again, realize this, most of his disciples have this opinion of him. They don't even really know who he is yet. But by the end of the week, by the following weekend, they would realize and understand and grasp the reality of who they've had with him for these past three and a half years. Amen? So, again, tradition calls this event Palm Sunday. Uh, it's almost always referred to in the Bible as the triumphant entry. That key word there is triumphant. Say that. Triumphant. Say it again. Triumphant. This side, say it louder than this side. Say it over here. Triumphant. triumphant. Nothing sad about this. Okay? He comes in to the city. He looks over the landscape. The only sadness that day was from him because he's looking over the city and understanding and realizing that within a generation, the city's going to be destroyed. The temple's going to be destroyed. A million people will be crucified when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem in just less than 40 years from that point in time. The sadness of knowing that like John wrote in, God, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, he came unto his own and his own did not receive him. But it's like the statement here that's being made. We, gotta, we have to stay on the victory side of this. We know, looking back, what's going to take place. We know, looking back, we could only imagine the heartache that he must have endured when on this day that we celebrate today, they're in the streets shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch Abba Hashem Adonai. And yet in a few days, these same individuals are going to say, crucify him, crucify him. We understand that. But you know, in all that I've been saved for 38 years, and this is the first Palm Sunday that I could say I've gotten this revelation. And it just hit me about three or four days ago, just going over my notes again and again, studying and praying. And I don't say that to sound super spiritual. It's just, you know, you get in that habit of doing that. I don't want to come here and bring a dead word on the weekend, you know? And all of a sudden it dawned on me, the statement that Jesus was making on Palm Sunday. He's saying, I know this is going to be the worst week of my life so far. But no matter what, I'm still the king of kings. I'm still the Lord of lords. No matter what it's going to look like by the end of that week, he is still the king that reigns on high. He is still the king of the universe. He is still the second person of the Trinity. No matter what. He's declared. Look, isn't it just like the nature of God? He's declaring in the beginning what's going to happen in the end. Establishing that victory up front. Now, there's one thing about God, if you, if you haven't found this out yet, you keep walking with him, you'll realize it. 
He knows and he declares the end from the beginning. Amen. He knows what's going to happen. He knows his disciples are going to be traumatized by the end of the week. They're going to be so scared, they're going to go hide themselves in a house someplace. Most of them will not be at his crucifixion. They'll be so fearful. The only one that'll be there is John. Standing there with his mother Mary in front of the cross, watching the Lamb of God suffer this horrible death so that we could be freed Amen. from the sins in our life. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, let's talk about wave your palm branches again. Man, I tell you, if they had this much cooperation on Palm Sunday, I think he would have turned around and rode back out again. <laughs> wave them like you mean it. Now, go ahead, you can put them down now. That's, it's fun, isn't it? Feel like a kid in Sunday school again, right? It's no coincidence that palms, these palm branches, play the role that they play in this event. Palm, palm trees are very significant in the Bible. Palm branches are very significant in the Bible. The palm tree is one of the most ancient symbols of the nation of Israel, and for very good reason. I don't know if you've ever studied this. I'm probably, probably not had the occasion to. But we, sometimes we hear about palm trees when there's hurricanes and storms and things of that nature. Most palm trees have a large number of short roots that are spread above the upper levels of the soil, which secure it to the ground. They have a very, very, very strong root system. That's why if you've ever seen videos from hurricanes, especially down in Florida, Louisiana, along the Gulf Coast, you see these gigantic, beautiful, what they call royal palms. And there's a reason why they call them royal palms, because the royal palm is the ancient symbol of the nation of Israel. So when storms hit, those palm trees, you watch them, they just, they could be 40, 50 feet tall and just beautiful branches and just picturesque. And, and then the winds come and just, just you think, oh, that one's going to go, that one's going to go. And, and they don't. They bend. And then as soon as the wind stops, they just go, Foom, like, you want a piece of me? <laughs> just tenacious. They're not moving. Very rarely do you, I mean, it's got to be a really bad, bad storm for you to see a palm tree snap or a palm tree uprooted. They just bounce back again. What better symbol of the nation of Israel? What better symbol of God's people who have been through so much throughout the centuries, have suffered so much, have endured so much, have been, have been attempted to be uprooted so much, and even if you did uproot them, they come back. Amen. So... We use this palm branches because they use them on that, on that Sunday, on that day. But there's a deeper, much deeper significance in that. It's associated with the triumph. It's associated with victory. Yes. And they celebrated that day. And the Gospel of John says that the citizens of, of Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. Palm branches. Palm trees are known for their strength. They're known for their ability to bend with the strong winds like I talked about. And listen, when I was writing this down, all of a sudden I thought about the scripture. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Listen to this. Talking about palm trees. Talking about 
resiliency, talking about tenacity. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. I like this part here. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. That's our life in Christ. I don't know about you, but that's how I'm going through. Now, in ancient times, palm branches were always associated with victory in battle. You know, um, back in December, well, in December every year, the Jewish world celebrates Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is the celebration of this victory of this small army of, of Jewish priests and how they rebelled against the Greek empire that had taken over the area we call modern-day Israel today, taken over Jerusalem. They stopped the worship in the temple. They actually went so far as to slaughter a pig and put it on the altar, which is the ultimate blasphemy. And the Maccabees rose up and defeated these Greeks threw them out of their land. And when they did, the people broke out in the streets with palm branches to welcome their, their conquering heroes. It's a sign of celebration. It's a sign of victory. It's a sign of respect and honor. Amen? Amen. Now, the triumphant entry is a big deal for a few reasons. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, and I really, it would take way too much time to explain all the details, but I will ask you to go and, and Google this and find out for yourself, and you can go and do a little reading. It's going to take you a while. The prophet Daniel, how many remember him? Daniel, Lion's Den, remember Daniel? Daniel prophesied. What does that mean, prophesied? He spoke in advance. He predicted under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that this King Messiah would come before the second temple was destroyed. Now, Daniel had seen the first temple be destroyed. Daniel is living in Jerusalem with the rest of his family and friends and all this other stuff, and the Babylonians come. They capture Jerusalem. They destroy Solomon's temple. Okay, and then that second temple was, was constructed on the same site. So imagine God speaking to you, telling you while that temple is destroyed and laying in ruins, that there's going to be another temple, and that one's also going to get destroyed. But before that temple gets destroyed, Messiah will show up in Jerusalem. Okay, and God, the, the angel Gabriel gives him a time frame and tells him exactly how many days it's going to be from the point where the king announces the rebuilding of the temple of Jerusalem in Babylon. Not even, he's not even in Jerusalem. He's in Babylon. And he gives the order, Cyrus the king gives the order for the temple to be built. And Daniel says, from the time that the temple is going to be rebuilt to the time when Messiah shows up is going to be a specific amount of days. Guess what day Jesus rides into Jerusalem on? that exact day. Go look it up. Go look it up. Okay? Most Bible commentators will state that it took place on March the 30th in 33, what we would call 33 AD. Amen? So, uh, how, I mean, what's the chances of, of somebody getting that just by, by just pure luck to, to 700 years before declare that this is what's going to happen on that specific day, and it happens, and it happens which is even sadder in one respect,
because all the religious people who knew the book of Daniel should have been aware, today's the day he's going to show up. And that's why when they said, you better tell your disciples to stop shouting, he says, if I tell them to stop shouting, the stones themselves are going to shout. Amen. Why? Because they recognize the Messiah coming in. But there's another prophecy that was fulfilled by the prophet Zechariah, again, hundreds and hundreds of years before. Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. In fact, Matthew quoted it. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king, I'm reading from the Amplified Version, messianic king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation, humble and unassuming in submission to the will of the Father, riding on a donkey upon the colt of a donkey, the fall of a donkey. Now, understand this, that there's not one word in the Bible that's placed in there without importance and without significance or meaning. Now, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Okay? There's a significance to that. Because in ancient times, when a king rode into a city on a donkey, that signified he was coming in peace. He's coming in peace. The people understood that. The citizens of Jerusalem understood that. And they knew he's fulfilling what Zechariah had spoken hundreds of years before. Now, the world needs to prepare itself because when he comes the next time, he's not riding a donkey. No, no, no. When he comes the next time, he's riding a war horse. And that's the statement that's going to be made. He's not coming for peace the next time. Jesus, really, Pastor, you know, he's love. Yes, he is. Jesus, the, the, the good shepherd, the one who carries the sheep on his on his neck. Yeah, that same Jesus came the first time to bring salvation. The next time he comes is to bring the wrath of God. He's not coming in peace the next time. That should give us a sense of urgency to reach our loved ones. You don't want your loved one to be here on the wrong side when Jesus comes back riding that war horse because we'll be with him but we're not coming for peace. He's coming to settle the accounts. The world has had 2,000 years of grace, 2,000 years of peace, let's say specifically spiritually. When the angels came and declared his birth, they declared that the war between man and God was over. God was calling a truce. Time out. Not holding our sins against us any longer. But that time is getting ready to expire. And I believe with all my heart that we will see it in our lifetime. This change of dispensations going from the age of grace into this period of hardship and suffering for seven years, and then after those seven years, then peace will be on the earth. Real peace. Real peace. Amen? Amen. So imagine yourself being there that day, and you see this person riding on this donkey. Who is this? This looks so familiar. Isn't this what Zechariah prophesied? Yeah, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. They'll know by the end of the week who he really is. Now, this is the point I want to make to you. This Palm Sunday is about victory. 
It's about heading into life, assuming the position of victory. Now, does life always hand us victory? No. No. In fact, most of the time, life itself, without the presence of God, is almost always going to guarantee some type of challenge, some type of suffering, some type of hardship, difficulties. But I believe that the message that the scriptures have given us this morning is that, yeah, you're going to find hardship. It's going to happen. You don't have to believe for it. You don't have to pray for it. It's going to come. But what position are you going to? What stance are you going to assume? Jesus is heading into the worst week of his life. The suffering that he endured, no man has ever endured. Well, Pastor, there's been people that have been slaughtered before. No, I'm not talking about just physically. Because Jesus did not just die physically. He suffered spiritually. He suffered. He had to suffer everything that an unsaved individual, a person who rejected God, he had to suffer the same thing that that person would. Otherwise, there could be no redemption, 100% redemption. So the suffering that he endured is way beyond the suffering that any of us could ever possibly endure. He knows he's going into this. Well, he's God. You know, he knows. No, no, no. On earth, he operated as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. Well, he's God. Oh, yeah? Well, what do you want to say to him when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane later on this week, when he's suffering in his soul to the point of having a complete nervous breakdown? Because in his humanity, no flesh wants to suffer that way. And he had a battle on his hands. Thank God the battle went the right way. Because he said, God, if it's at all possible, is there any other way for us to accomplish this? But not my will, but your will be done. Some of you know who Dr. Robert Jeffries is. He's got a program on TBN, Pathway to Victory. This is what he has to say about this topic here. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, and if he, even if he dies, because Jesus defeated sin and death, one day those of us who believe in Jesus will also defeat sin and death. Now, to believe in Jesus doesn't mean to agree with intellectual facts about Jesus. The word believes mean, means to trust in, to cling to, to put your whole faith in. When we believe in Jesus, we're saying, God, I know I deserve your punishment, but I am clinging to the fact that Jesus died for me to save me from my sins. And that's what it means to believe in Jesus. Hallelujah, we serve a risen Savior. And because Jesus defeated death, so will those of us who have trusted in him. This is a day about victory. He was victorious over sin, death, hell, the grave. He defeated all that Satan brought on mankind. When he died on the cross, he literally destroyed Satan's power with his own weapon. I want to say that again because I want you to grab this. I want you to grab a hold of the significance of this. Jesus defeated Satan with Satan's own power, which is the power of death. Amen. Just like David. You remember David? Remember David and Goliath? Amen? He said, well, David defeated Goliath with a stone. No, David got Goliath's attention with a stone. He knocked him cold. But how did he really, how did he kill Goliath? Cut off his head. There's only one problem. David doesn't have a sword. 
He's only got stones in a slingshot. What does he go over and do? He goes over and grabs Goliath's own sword. How humiliating to be destroyed with your own weapon. And cuts his head off. And then carries that head and brings it to Jerusalem. We, we forget about that part of the story. Okay? Jesus did the same thing. Jesus doesn't have any death in him. In him is life. Amen? He has no death in him. He had to lure the enemy in, had to trap the enemy, had to ambush the enemy. We know it's true because Paul later on writes, they had no idea, the devil had no idea what he was doing. He said, if the, if the princes knew, he's talking about the devil and all his demons, if they knew what they were doing, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus defeats Satan with his own weapon, just like David defeated Goliath with his own sword. It's a day of victory. It's a day of, of rejoicing. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I think Paul got a hold of this because he writes to the church of Corinth there, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? For, this, for sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about just Jesus' victory. He's talking about our victory because we're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you have the ability and the potential and the capacity to walk into every challenge, to walk into every difficulty, walking in as a king, walking in victorious, walking in with that attitude of like, Go ahead, throw your best at me, because I know what, no matter what happens, I'm coming out on top. Amen. That's the declaration that Jesus is making this day. Amen? Amen? So, Jesus himself is the only one who can give us a new life. No one else holds or has ever held that power. He redeems our past. He restores our brokenness. He gives us great strength and great peace. He gives us hope and a future. Amen. Through Jesus' victory over death, as believers in him, we're unchained from the hold of darkness, no longer under the grip of the enemy. He doesn't have power over us except for the power that we give him. When we believe the lies, when we pay so much attention to our emotions, your emotions will kill you if you let them. We're going to be starting a series on anxiety right after Easter. I don't, think we've, I don't think mankind has ever lived in a time more stressful than right now. Yeah. At, least, at least while any of us have been alive, to have this kind of stress, to have this sword hanging over our head that we don't know what to believe, who to believe outside of the word of God. And that's why the word of God is coming under so much attack because it's the only source of truth that we have. Amen. It's the very foundation of our confidence. And I don't know if you see it or not. I'm saying it. I'm saying it. When years ago, 20, 30 years ago, when I first got born again, and people would say, well, you know, there's going to come a day in America when Christians are going to get persecuted. You thought to yourself, nah. Nah. Now? Now? It's like the spirit of Nero is on this country. Every little thing that goes on. Do you notice how the media just twists everything? The stupidest little thing. It's Christians that did it. It's Christians that did it. It's with Christians behind. If the Christians weren't doing this, this wouldn't happen. It's the Christians. The same thing, same spirit that was on the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. It's the Christians' fault. It's all these people who believe in morality. It's their fault. 
They're the ones that are denying this group and that group and this one from having rights. Don't deny anybody anything. Just don't try to make your beliefs my beliefs. Never, never have we lived in a time when you can't trust anything that you see on TV or hear or read on the internet. What's well, on the internet? It must be true. Are you a fool? Never. This makes the propaganda of World War II look like kindergarten. And we're bombarded constantly. Back then, all they had to do was, the only thing they had was the radio. A battle would take place in Europe. They wouldn't find out about the United States for a month. Now, everything is real time. We're bombarded constantly. Get your face in the truth of God. Get to know the voice of the Holy Spirit because he will tell you what's true and what's not true. But the stress that that's producing is causing havoc in people's lives. Amen. Keep reminding yourself who you are in Christ. Amen. This is all about victory. This is about conquering. He robbed the glory away from the enemy. And he walked, he walked into Jerusalem as a king, rose from the dead as a king, ascended back into heaven as a king. And he's coming back as a king. And he's coming soon. Oh, Jesus, come today. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. According to his great mercy. We should, we should have those words before we say anything, do anything every day of our lives. Because of his great mercy, we get up in the morning. Because of his great mercy, we can, we can assemble ourselves here today. Because of his great mercy, we have the strength to lift our hands when we're singing. Because of his great mercy, you're going to walk out of this place and enjoy the rest of this day. Because of his great mercy, you're going to get up tomorrow morning and go to a job and have the wisdom and the strength to do what you need to do to earn a living for your family. It's all because of his great mercy we can walk around and say, hey, God forbid something happens, I take my last breath. Because of his great mercy, I'll be in his presence forever. Are you, are you getting the significance of this this morning? It's because of his mercy. Blessed be God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He's not a dead hope. We're not mourning this week. We're not putting purple all over our mirrors in the house. We're not, we're not snuffing out candles. We're not doing all these religious things that are being done this week in other churches and denominations that just lure people in with emotions of religiosity. We have a living hope, and that's a result of his great mercy. Amen. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. Thank God for what we experience here. Thank God for the new life. Thank God for the new birth. But guess what? We've got an eternity that we can't even fathom yet how good it's going to be. And we get so caught up with this life. Oh, if I only had this, and if I only had that, and if I can only do this, and you know, if I only had the contacts for that thing or that thing, or, or if I only had hair, and if I was only 40 pounds lighter, and if I was only tall. We got an eternity ahead of us Amen. to just bask in the goodness of God, Amen. in the glory of God, in the presence of God. 
This is temporary. Temporary. We're gonna get, there's going to be a day we're going to bump into each other in eternity, and somebody's going to mention the word earth, and we're going to go, earth? What was that? Earth. You remember that place? Remember that place, earth? Where you got sick, and you had to fight sicknesses, and you had a mortgage to pay, and you had earth? Right now, we're so, we do it, do you, heaven? We flip it. Heaven? What, what's Heaven. What's heaven? All we know is what we know from the book. There's so much more that's going to be. We're just going to walk around probably for about a thousand years with our mouth open like, are you kidding? If I knew it was this good, I would have got here earlier. <laughs> I want to read this scripture again because it's so good. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, an inheritance. It's all stored up for us there. That's imperishable. There's no expiration date on it. It's undefiled. It's pure. It doesn't have any strings attached to it. And unfading. It's just as alive now as it will ever be. And it's kept in heaven for you. The world is not all there is. There is more in store. We get so caught up with everything that's going on here, we forget about it. Jesus reminds us through his resurrection that there's a place for every believer in heaven with him. He is saving us a place, and it will never fade away. Never fade away. I want to pray this prayer right now. It's not the end of the service yet. Just... See if you can agree in your heart with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to celebrate Jesus' victory. Thank you for, fill, for fulfilling your promise to your people by bringing the Messiah at the perfect time, at the exact place you said he would. Thank you for the victory and power that's in your name. Thank you that you hold the keys over death, that by your might Jesus was raised from the grave, paving the way for us to have a new life with you. Thank you for the reminder that no matter what battle we face, no matter what difficulties we may face, just like Jesus, we can declare that we have the victory ahead of time. We praise you for your great strength, your power, your lavish love. We praise you that you are the conqueror, the victor, the redeemer, and friend. And we praise you that you are our deliverer, worthy one, everlasting father, great and awesome God. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now listen, there is another great declaration of triumph that awaits us in heaven. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, John wrote, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. Now, let me ask you this question. 
will you see that celebration? I can't answer that for you. Will you qualify for that celebration? Will you be among the multitude for that celebration? Yeah. Uh, why? How? Is it going to be because, are you entertaining the thought and the philosophy that, yeah, I'm going to be there because I'm a good person? Yeah, I even paid for somebody's coffee in Wawa the other day. Ooh. I'm sure God sat up and went, oh, look at that. And it just happened to be the free coffee day, right? No, no, seriously. Seriously. This is, this is a time of seriousness and urgency. What are you staking your claim on? Because I see as we go further and further along in our society here, people, even Christians, even Christians are entertaining some crazy, off-the-wall, unbiblical concepts and philosophies. Well, Pastor, you know, and I know years ago, people were very restricted in their thinking, but you know, we're very open-minded today. Yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. That's the true problem, too, open-minded. Everything is flying in and flying out. Well, you know, years ago, people thought that Jesus is the only way. But we know there's more ways to God. Uh, no. Can't have it both ways. He's either the only way or there's no way. I don't, I don't say these things to be controversial or to stir people's anger. I'm telling you because I love you. And I understand that the worst nightmare that anyone could ever experience as a human being is to wake up and find themselves in hell. Because hell was not created for people. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. But like Bill Weiss explained one time when he was here, and he will again in July when he comes, the man who went to hell for 23 minutes and wrote a book about it, he said there was no other place for God to put people who reject him. So they end up in a place that was not made for them a place of extreme torment, night and day, night and day, night and day. You remember Jesus talking about that rich man and Lazarus? And the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to just dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue. That man is still waiting for that drop of water now. That wasn't a parable. That was a fact. Jesus did not present that story as a parable or an illustration. He understood what was happening in the realm of the spirit. That man is still suffering in hell now, and he hasn't even seen the worst yet. Because the day comes when Hades gets emptied into the lake of fire, and that's even worse torment. <clears throat> we should do everything possible to make sure that none of our loved ones, not even our enemies, end up in this place of torment. And the majority of a lot of people, in the, especially here in the West, in the United States, entertain this thought, well, I'm a good person. I never killed anybody. I never forget when I first got born again and told some of the people around me, yeah, I'm a born again Christian now. And, and they said to me, well, did you commit a crime? Did you go on drugs? Are you an alcoholic? Because they always assumed that if it got to the point where you needed to get born again, you must have really been bad. Because, you know, everybody else in the population of this world is, we're, we're basically good people. Oh, when somebody says, well, you know, human beings are basically good people. Are you delusional? <laughs> good people, we all deserve to go to hell. Yeah. Amen. 
apart from the crisis in us, there's no good thing in us other than Jesus, other than his spirit. So please, you know, I found myself last night spending a lot of time talking about salvation. My wife and I were talking about it this morning. I got a Facebook message from somebody. Last night we had our baptism service here. If you have never been to one of our baptism services, you're missing a little bit of heaven. We had 20 some odd, 20, about 24, I think, 20, 22, 24 people get baptized. I had the awesome honor of baptizing our two grandsons Amen. last night. Okay. But I kept finding myself spending, going back to salvation and back to, and I'm feeling that same thing today, going back to, and, I, and as I'm saying it, I'm going, why am I spending so much time on this? And then I get a message from this person that got baptized last night, a family member that came just to see, only because they were getting baptized, would have never set foot in this church, only because they were getting baptized they came. And, and she said, you said everything that person needed to hear who's been opposed to the gospel for years and years and years. She said, and I watched him pray the prayer of salvation last night. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, I hope you're, you're clapping for God, not for me. Because, you see, be smart enough to realize you don't really know you're being used of God until after it happens. Amen. Thank God, because we'd mess it up if you knew, oh, wow, God's using me. Look at me. I'm so wonderful. I'm like the man of God. You understand what I'm saying? And I feel like the same thing's happening this morning here. Do not base your claims on eternity with God on the fact that you think you're a good person. There are a lot of moral good people that are in hell. They were moral enough to pass as a good person, but they were too prideful to bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're suffering the nightmare now of being in a place that they did not have to go because Jesus had already paid for their sins, had already died in their place, but they weren't smart enough or humble enough to receive that free gift of salvation. So when I ask the question, are you going to be there when this great celebration happens? And we're not going to have these skimpy little palm branches then. They're going to be the whole thing, the whole branch. It's just like... I don't know about you, but I'll be waving mine with two hands going, I made it. I made it. So what are you staking your claim on? Jesus. You better be on the blood of Jesus. You better be on that great mercy. It better be because of what Jesus did, not because you're such a great person. And I pray that with all sincerity today that I'm speaking to somebody who's going to flip the page and change your mind and go, that makes sense. You see, you may be a much better person than I am, but if we put you next to Jesus, and that's the standard. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard, not Pastor Joe's standard, not your standard. That's religion. Religion is when man sets up a set of standards. If you do this and if you don't do that, if you eat this and you don't eat that, if you light this many candles, if you twirl this many beads, if you do... You listening to me? So how about if we make this official for everybody that's in this room right now? How about if we all make this declaration of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today? Amen? Amen. 
Now, if you're doing this for the first time, we're praying. We're praying that you're going to speak from a heart of faith. Because when you really come down to it, you'd have to be an idiot to not realize that there is a God who has brought all this into manifestation, into being. You didn't come here as an accident. We're not descended from some slime in a pool someplace. And if there is a God, and there is, now I want to be with him. Let's say this prayer together. Father, I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that when he died on the cross, he took my place. I should have died on the cross. He paid for my sins. And he rose again from the dead. And he's alive right now. And I know he hears me. So Jesus, I declare my faith in you. I trust you. My confidence is in you. I ask you now, be my Lord. Be my God. Be my Savior. Thank you for bringing my spirit to life right now. I declare that according to the word of God, I am a child of God. I am born again. Your spirit has come to live inside me. And I'm forever grateful. I thank you for this. In your name. Amen. Amen. Now shake those palm trees, those palm branches, and rejoice over those that have come in. Rejoice over those who Jesus wrote into their heart right now, just a moment ago. Amen. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, come on up. Those of you that said that prayer for the first time, come up here. We got a Bible for you. We want to meet you. We want to get to know who you are. Amen. Amen. God bless you.